This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's happening, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Field Note Fridays, powered by Federal Premium. This is your host, Will, and on today's episode, I'm going to be bringing on Mr. Brian Murphy, and specifically, I'm actually going to be diving back into the archives to bring out an episode that him and I recorded shortly after we finished filming a Hunt Stand original down in South Texas chasing after predators, coyotes, bobcats, fox, whatever wanted to come out. And so him and I just kind of go down a couple of rabbit holes. We start talking, can you really manage these things? Population control and a bunch of other things, but nonetheless, just going to get Brian on here because I know it's that time of year where turkey season's over. We're really thinking long and hard about whitetail. We're ready for it to be fall. Some of y'all might be heading out west to chase after some muleys and elk. And so Brian and I just kind of get on here to talk about predators because it's that time of year that if you want to go out, it's a good time. You can go out at night if you've got thermals or if you've got the right kind of red lenses on your lights. It's fun. It's a great way to introduce people to hunting. And so nonetheless, just want to thank Brian for coming on here. I want to thank all y'all for tuning into the Hunt Stand podcast and we hope you enjoy. All right, everybody, we are live and we're back for another episode of the Hunt Stand podcast. And today, got a special guest back with us. We got Mr. Brian Murphy on the Hunt Stand team. Brian, welcome back to the podcast. Glad to be here. Glad to be here in person with you this time. Yeah, no more remoteness. Yeah, I like exactly. it. So, we're down here in South Texas, man. Let's, let's tell the listeners what we're doing. You know, I don't know, I guess you could call us Deer Camp, but what are we down here doing? Well, we're down here in, in beautiful Zapata, Texas, in uh, Webb County, which is deep south Texas, just north of Laredo, Texas. So we're not, I don't know, 15 or 20 miles probably as a crow flies to the Mexico border. So true deep south Texas down here. And we've got a special assignment, you and I. We mm -hmm. got a, we got tasked with going to south Texas and filming a predator hunt. So uh, we had to scramble a little bit, and I put the word out to a good friend of mine who 
had a lot of connections down here, and he was able to line us up with a beautiful ranch, uh, 4,700 acres. And uh, we came down here blind with nothing but hunt stand and a dream, and and uh, we got it done. So it's been a been a great couple of days. <laughs> Man, it's it's been fun. I want let's let's back up to that 4,700 acres. You know, anywhere else like Georgia, where you're from, or even Central Texas, where I am, you know, you hear two, three hundred acres, four hundred acres. That it's a fairly large piece of property. But when you get down here to South Texas, 4,700, it's what would you say that is? Pretty small. Well, there's a lot of variability down here, of course, but it's not uncommon to have ten or twenty thousand acre ranches in, in this part of South Texas. And uh, but but you know you get up you know forty seven hundred acres is nearly uh, six square miles of habitat, so yep. it's still not an insignificant piece. And you know one thing about this this country down here, particularly in the last decade, is oil and gas has really taken over. You know, there's a network of roads like you've never seen before. It's a maze. It's insane. It it really is, and and. You know, and I give all the credit in the world to having hunt stand in our hand because we would have been absolutely mm-hmm. lost because, you know, you get down in this country, a lot of it looks the same and, you know, roads crisscrossing everywhere and senderos and gas lines and, you know, it's it's really difficult to navigate. So, uh, yeah. so they, uh, but this country really holds a lot of critters. Um, now, we're here in the first of March. Uh, particularly tough time can be, and it was for us. I mean, the conditions were hard. It was hot. It was super windy. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's been super dry. Uh, so the animal movement in general, not just the, the coyotes and bobcats we were after, but, you know, deer activity, even the ranch owner said somebody turned the spigot off about a week ago. <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh, he said, there's nothing moving. This place is dead. You're you're going to think we don't have any game. And uh, we certainly found some tough, challenging conditions, but we persevered. We did what good hunters should do, and that's just keep at it and keep swinging the bat. Yep. And uh, luckily, we were able to, to have some success and lay out some good plans. And we actually had some plans that we called ahead of time, and they actually worked. <laughs> we, this never happens, right? So No, uh, we, no. Uh, we actually did a little bit of that, so it was fun. Yeah, that was fun. Well, I, I want to get to that. But first, I want to I want to kind of – let's see. I don't, I don't want to age you here when I ask you this question. Let's, let's go back in time a little bit, but let's talk about your history with South Texas. Yeah, well, I, was, I was sharing with you that it was, in fact, in this very county – Back in the mid '80s, you know, mm-hmm. this is a good, good long while back. I was a young grad, uh, undergraduate student at Texas Tech University, and I had the, the good fortune of working on a couple of ranches down here. And this is where I learned to predator hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I shot my first coyotes and bobcats and hogs and javelinas and a lot of a lot of those critters down in this very county. You know, thirty plus years ago, almost thirty five years ago, before uh, you were even a dream in your mama's <laughs> eye. Yep. Uh, so, so yeah, it was really like a homecoming and I've had the, the good fortune of coming back to South Texas and deer hunting quite a bit over the years, but this is the first predator hunt that I've done back in South Texas in, you know, over two decades. Really? So it was really like a, a childhood homecoming to, to an extent to come back here and chase these critters in this very country. So it's, uh, brought back some very fond memories. It, it's always good to have that homecoming and where we are in South Texas, I think, I feel like we're kind of in this little hidden gym down here because I think when everybody thinks of South Texas, kind of how I was before we got to this piece of property, is flat, brush thick as heck, nothing but senderos. But talk about the topography out here. I mean, the scenery. 
Yeah, this is a very unique uh, part of South Texas. And in fact, um, I've been on a number of ranches in this country over the years. And this one has the most unique topography of any, literally any that I've been on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a number of mesas and buttes, as they would be called out in, in the New Mexico country. But it almost reminds me of West Texas. Yeah. And, 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 you know, so it's got what they call an escarpment or a ridge system that's been eroded over time. So you've got these high knobs and points sticking up all through the property. So it's got some unique features that are very unusual for this part of the world. So, yeah. so uh, it was really a, just a pleasure to see this country, let alone to hunt it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a lot of fun, challenging, but fun. So let's talk about hunt stand. Well, you know, we came into this, into this blind. We'd never been here before. Neither of us had been on this piece of property and, Tell us how, you know, hunt stand has just really come into play for this hunt and help us be successful. Oh, absolutely. In fact, you know, I I shared it with you casually this afternoon. I said, I can genuinely credit hunt stand for our success on this hunt as much as anything else we did, including Mm -hmm. our own skills and abilities, because we got down here, as you said, never stepped foot on the ranch, Uh, had a quick tour of the ranch with the owner on the first uh, morning. Uh, he was, you know, gracious enough to kind of give us the, the nickel tour, but you, know, right. you can't, you can't see all of 4,700 acres in an hour and a no. half. So <laughs> we kind of drove the main roads. Uh, he zigzagged across to a few key points where he'd seen some bobcats and coyotes and we dropped some pins there. Obviously the first thing we did when we arrived was to look at his physical map, his printed map, and then quickly go into hunt stand and make sure that our boundaries around his ranch were the same as what they in fact were so that our yep. boundaries aligned and they did. And that was mm-hmm. super easy. And then as we were driving, you know, you and I were actually separated. I was uh, with the owner and his wife in one vehicle, and you and our cameraman were in the in the back. And I was in the the, the front truck, you know, listening to what he said about, hey, this we see coyotes here, we see some bobcats here. So I was dropping pins as we went. You didn't have that luxury where you are, so you were back there tracing the roads yep. so we could find ourselves <laughs> yeah. uh, if we needed to find our way back to camp, uh, which came in very handy, frankly, the, the tracing. So – and the beauty of hunt stand is how easy we were able to share and sync that information. Yeah. You know, so we get back to camp. I'd marked all the hot spots. You'd marked the road system. We synced it up, and in seconds, we had all that information at our disposal. And that was pretty key. Yeah, that was uh, that was the beginning of our sort of our plan of attack uh, because we really didn't have one before we got here. You know, we mm-hmm. we had to kind of figure out the property, and that's hard to, to do, and you know, and one drive around it. And so, you know, what we did is we, once we came back and we synced it all up and we looked at all the pins the landowner had told me where they had seen either sign or animals, you know, I looked at a couple of different um, satellite layers and topography layers, and it was pretty clear to me immediately that those pins outlined and surrounded a major sort of uh, creek system, a dry creek at this time of the year, but a creek system, a low gully that runs through the property where the vegetation is thicker. There's more moisture, there's more grass cover, obviously more rodents, more den sites, you know, just loafing cover. It's where the animals would naturally hold up and you would too. And so it was like, all right, you know, the animal activities focused around this drainage that runs through the properties that can kind of eliminate some of the outlying areas that were drier and more open. And so uh, we just systematically then built a plan and using, you know, the marks that we had on the, on the hunt stand from the owners at Intel and then overlaying that with what the primary wind direction was and then what we could drive systematically. And then we just set up a series of like six or seven stands in a row uh, based on that. And we just sequentially started hitting them. Mm-hmm. And we knew right where to park the vehicle so we didn't have to walk too far or too short. 
Uh, we didn't bust any areas, so we were able to know where to park, walk in, call an area, get back out, skedaddle down to the next spot. And you know, in the, the first afternoon, we had, I think, six or seven different stand sites yep. that we, we were able to knock out in about a five-hour period. And uh, lo and behold, we, we picked up two coyotes. Um, so, you know, a good plan, well executed. It, it actually worked. Um, but for frame of reference, it was still a, a challenging couple of days. I mean, we're not done yet. Uh, we still got one more morning. But we, I think we've had, you know, close to 20 stand sets so far and have had three animals, re- well, three groups of animals respond. Two coyotes came in in one set, uh, a single coyote, and then a bobcat tonight. Yep. Uh, so that was cool. Yeah. And we can talk about that in a minute, but, but you know, the, the reality is we still went out there and, and had 20 hunt attempts mm-hmm. for, for three responses that, that we saw. Now, some of this covers thick, um, undoubtedly we had more animals respond than we could see. Oh, yeah. And with three people, including a cameraman trying to get it all on camera, I mean, it's not quite the easiest thing in the world, but tough enough as it is. <laughs> exactly. So, so no, it all worked out well. And hunt stand was absolutely key to that. Yeah, I mean, if if we wouldn't have had hunt stand, I mean, heck, we'd probably still be trying to find our way back to camp right now. Well, we wouldn't have already had dinner and be settled in for the night because <laughs> no. uh, we'd still be trying to find our way back. So at the very least, it made our our uh, our, our days more efficient. And 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 even tonight, uh, you know, we were able to to kill a beautiful bobcat tonight at a stand that we found this morning actually, and really liked the area because it was right adjacent to this gully that I was referencing, and we just knew it was a jam up spot, and so. You know, we'd said, all right, let's just put all our eggs in that basket for the last hour and a half of the hunt and mm-hmm. go, go go to this area. And if we didn't, if we hadn't marked it on hunt stand, I don't think we could have found it. I mean, you know, it's just, we'd, we'd no. or we'd have driven around for an extra hour, boogering up the whole Trying area, to find trying, something. And then just finally said, well, this is close enough. Let's just do this. But we were able to just go straight to it, get in the stand. Everything just, just worked beautifully. Yeah. Lay that, lay that area out you know let's let's talk talk about why we chose it um you know we sat in the deer stand because uh it was really the only way that we could get a long field of view out there otherwise i don't know if we would have killed that bobcat yeah so so you know i I mentioned that we had like 20 stand setups over the last couple of days two of those have been in deer stands the rest of them have been off the ground but in the two locations that we that we chose uh, to hunt out of the stands, that was all that was there that uh, uh, you know afforded itself the cover we needed to and the visibility at the same time to see the an animal before it would come out yeah. and and those stands also not not too surprisingly were placed in areas next to some of that same gully country that we wanted to hunt because that's also holding the deer yeah uh, so they were in good places and you know elevated elevated the scent control to some extent movement, yep. movement control so um, you know don't overlook the obvious if you have a chance to climb a deer stand take advantage of it I mean there's there's no rule that says you have to kill a coyote off no. the ground well uh, heck I mean if like I was talking to you I think if we would have been sitting on the ground I mean that bobcat got what 12 15 yards maybe even closer yeah, she might have. She might have actually caught either our movement or our scent or both, and mm-hmm. and and never got f- close enough to the 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 decoy and the collar, the electronics to to have actually taken her. So you're right; that may have actually made the difference tonight yeah. of actually being in the stand. Um, so you know, and I I wondered as we sat in those stands, would that be a, a detriment because you know deer hunters sit in them? There's some human engagement around those areas. Would that actually reduce our chances? Well. You know, we only set in two, and we killed a coyote out of one and a bobcat out of the other. So I would say the answer is 
you know, probably not. No. Yeah. <laughs> Let, I want to dive into the management aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, uh, you know, from my perspective, uh, I grew up predator hunting with the buddies, good friends, because deer season was over. You know, it kept us out of trouble for the most part. You know, Friday, Saturday nights we were doing that, and we would actually, you know, whatever we'd get, we would try and sell the hides. But the, aside from that, you know, kind of filling that loy that lull after deer season, there's a management side to it. You know, it helps out landowners, and I, I want to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. So when you talk about predators in general, you know, of course, you know, to the whitetail hunter, the the main adversary is the coyote, mm-hmm. and that's because the research shows. That, uh, you know, of all the fawns eaten across the country, you know, the coyote is the, the largest culprit by a wide margin. And, you know, in areas like South Texas where the two primary predators are, are coyotes and bobcats, you know, coyotes going to account for about 90% of the mortality that does occur on, on whitetail fawns. So bobcats aren't big players in that. And that research has been done also across the eastern United States and the upper Midwest. And that's pretty consistent where you have bobcat and coyotes coyote by far is going to be the predominant predator you know where you also have complements of bears or wolves Mm -hmm. they can be big players too and in fact some research out of pennsylvania shows that bears are almost as good fawn killers as coyotes Uh, so bears can be a big player if there's high numbers of bears but of course that's not a issue here so because the increasing research has shown that coyotes are taking a lot of fawns hunters understandably are concerned and said all right what do we need to do we need you know, control our predators. Well, the first thing that, that I would say is just because you have predators on your property, and most hunters do now, there's mm-hmm. a, hardly a hunter that doesn't have the odd coyote or bobcat on their property or something else. You know, the first thing is presence of a predator does not necessarily constitute a problem. Right. Um, and in fact, much of South Texas, much of Texas in general, but particularly South Texas, they've had coyotes here for, for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And many of the ranches are large, as you mentioned. Sometimes the hunting pressure is quite light. A lot of people hunt big ranches. Uh, and so coyotes actually do these ranchers a favor. Mm-hmm. Um, but they reduce and keep their deer herds uh, under control. Yeah, because if you don't have that, I mean, Texas already has a fairly high density of deer anyway. And if you don't have that, I mean... Now, South Texas is a little unique in that the long-term average fawn crop or fawn recruitment rate, as we, we say in the in the business, uh, is only about 0.3 fawns per doe per year. And okay. let me make sure I explain what that means. So it means that on average, uh, one doe recruits a third of a fawn or said the other way, it takes three adult does to recruit one fawn into the next year's population. For that one to make it. Yeah, yeah to make it. This is not how many get pregnant. This is not how many fawns hit mm-hmm. the ground. This is how many survive and become adult deer into the next year's hunting population. Right. And the reason that that number is so low is because really it's twofold. Uh, primarily rainfall driven. driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have years of, of drought, which is not uncommon here in South Texas, you get very for, very poor vegetative growth. You get um, the weedy plants we call forbs, which are very highly nutritious, uh, don't grow in, in great abundance. So nutrition is lacking, but also cover is lacking. Right. So you have does under nutritional stress, and you have fawns put out there in very open spaces where mm-hmm. predators can find them. Um, so predators are the other half of that equation. So drought is part of it, rainfall, and the other is predation. Uh, but 
the, you know, the, you know, to the average hunter who, who goes out and shoots the odd coyote or bobcat as we have done, you know, that is not predator management, you know, just be, be straight up clear there, you know, that's, right. that's having fun. That's yeah. an extra season. I can, you know, it may not have made much of a difference to the overall population of mm-hmm. coyotes and bobcats in that area. It makes a big difference to the three that we shot. <laughs> uh, I can promise you that, um, and and probably saved a few a few you know a, a few fawns or a few you know Some few quail, quail or something yeah. for a short period of time because mm-hmm. there's a constant flux of these predators on the landscape, and any voids we're creating will eventually get refilled and probably sooner rather than later so it's not a long term you know by shooting the odd predator doesn't mean you've managed your predators so the landowners down here generally take you know one of three responses one is just incidentally take coyotes and bobcats if you want them not really for management purposes just kind of because uh extra recreation right uh the second is all right we're gonna try to shoot as many as we can and get serious about it and they go out and they spotlight and they call and they really work on them they can make a slight dent probably in in the population at that at that intensity Mm -hmm. but they also create a lot of call shy animals uh, a lot of very wary animals yeah Uh, by far you know those that are genuinely interested in controlling the predators on their populate on their deer population are trappers Um, this country is it's you know, some ranches are, some are not. This ranch has not it's not been intensively trapped or hunted. That's why we're here. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, thankfully we had some <laughs> some animals that 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 hadn't been hunted or trapped. But um, you know, we wouldn't have to drive far in any direction to find a ranch that has professional trappers or our our property workers who trap. Mm. Uh, many of the high fence operators down in this country, this is a low fence place, but many of the high fence operators run snares around their, yep. their boundary because coyotes are always digging under. So it's pretty easy to see where the coyotes are coming from. Yeah. And it's not uncommon for, uh, you know, a landowner of this size, 4,700 acres to snare 50 to 80 coyotes a year. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of density you can get. Now, all, some of those cows are, are just coming in for the first time when they get caught. So they're not necessarily mm-hmm. all resident animals. Um, and that's what's interesting about the research on coyotes. There's been a lot of it done in the last decade, and it's fascinated me because it really, all the studies have shown very similar results in that there's clearly two groups of coyotes on the landscape. Uh, you know, part of the group is your resident animals, uh, often a, an adult male and female and, and kind of a family group, a pack, um, if you will. Uh, they have somewhere, the research shows, between 6 and 15 square mile home ranges, so still quite big. Uh, then this other group we call transients. You might call them just kind of wanderers. Mm-hmm. And they're typically younger animals, not always, but typically younger animals, but almost always those looking to become permanent residents somewhere. So they're kind of bouncing around the landscape. Some of them are moving 30, 60, 100 miles or more. We're talking about huge movements on Good the landscape. Grief. Uh, but once they find a home, if, if for example, if, if the uh, – the big male that you shot last night that was running mm-hmm. with another one could have been running with the alpha female. So we, we could have killed an alpha male dog last night. Uh, if we did, more than one juvenile male will take his place until one of them eventually takes over yeah. that, that territory. Uh, so you can compound a problem with coyotes because if you shoot a territorial male or female, mm-hmm. they may get replaced, at least in the short term, by more than one 
uh, of these transients that are moving, yeah. moving out there. So some interesting stuff that we're learning about how these things uh, kind of use the landscape and their impacts on deer. Let's talk about how we've been hunting these predators. You know, I think the, uh, I think not necessarily a, a common uh, misconception that people have. I think a lot of people, when they think predator hunting, they just think driving around spotlight nighttime hunting. Now, we've done that here a little bit, which actually we found no success in so far. Uh, let's tell them a little bit, kind of the, the run and gun, if you will, how we've been doing that. Yeah, so so we've, you know, we this is how I, I, I grew up and learned predator hunting, a lot of different approaches. But, you know, our, our strategy would be picking out what we consider an ideal area, mm-hmm. uh, which we did again by using the intel from the landowner, using the intel of looking at sort of from 30,000 foot view what the property drainage is, where the animals are likely to be, and then looked at where we could have some visibility down a road, a sendero. <laughs> Which is tough here. Y- yeah, so, you know, a lot of it's thick as can be, and you have, you know, zero visibility, so you got to take the openings you're given. Mm-hmm. It could be a gas line right away, a sendero, which is just a mowed lane down here in South Texas or a managed opening, uh, a road, an old road. So, you know, overlay areas of habitat where they cross with a road or a sendero where you can actually see something. And then we would uh, sneak in, obviously, with three of us. Uh, we had a, a unique, uh, interesting addition to our arsenal uh, this year. <laughs> Let's talk about that. So uh, so on a whim, prior, once I learned about uh, this hunt coming up, you know, I was asking if we had a, you know, electronic calls and if we had a one of the, the motion-activated sort of decoys that kind of flips and flutters out there and kind of draws attention and we didn't and just by chance you know the next day or two after that i was invited to go on a rabbit rabbit hunt with some buddies and pack of beagles back home and so we shot a few rabbits and i thought you know what i'm just going to make a decoy yeah why, why not yeah <laughs> uh and so uh on a whim i skinned this rabbit out and uh built a little form for it uh out of uh, foam and built a head and got some wire and made the head stand up straight and wired the ears up and <laughs> Uh, salted it uh, like I would a deer hide and uh, let it let it uh, dry for a couple of days and put a little quick tan on it and mm-hmm. wrapped it around that form and stitched him up and made Peter Cottontail. Little Petey. Little Peter. So uh, <laughs> he, he rode on the plane out here with me, and um, I even called ahead and talked to the game warden, made sure it was uh, mm-hmm. kosher and that we weren't breaking any rules, bringing a, 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 a Georgia rabbit out here to South Texas. I was wondering if, if his southern accent would uh, be recognizable out here. but uh, Oh, yeah. But uh, but anyhow, so so we brought this rabbit out and and we used it both electronic and mouth calls. Um, basically, the wind was howling so much that if we were in a spot where the electronics would handle the getting the the word out, so to speak, we let the electronics do their job. But in the areas where the wind was just so strong that we would just weren't getting the volume out there, we'd crank up the yeah. the mouth calls. So we we would put the electronics and the little stuffed rabbit uh, generally about fifty yards plus or minus out in front of us uh, into the wind. Yep. Uh, so that was the key set up in the shade. Uh, we were hunting off the ground. We didn't have any blinds at all. Literally just using the brushes cover and shade wherever we could. Um, you know, we had a two gun combination set. So well, you were handling the AR for short range or moving shots. I had a, uh, a bolt action uh, Springfield uh, 6.5 Creedmoor. Our new 2020 waypoint fantastic gun for the job i mm-hmm. uh, had the old bog pod you know tripod so i was rock solid for the longer shots 
and uh, that worked well. We, it, it did. It, it, the combination worked well. We only had three opportunities. We closed the deal on all three of them. Mm-hmm. You know, so we were able to to make that work well. So once we sit down, we got the electronics set up. We generally put the electronic collar again about fifty yards from us, but about ten yards away from the rabbit, so they weren't right there together. Uh, turn the electronics on, and what we're trying to do is divert the attention right away from our immediate spot. So we don't want to put the electronics in our lap because that puts all the attention on us, just like turkey hunting. Yeah, it puts eyeballs on you. So so get it away from you. Yep. Um, get it out there. And uh, so that was our, our strategy, and we used a number of the different uh, uh, electronic rabbit call options, primarily the ones we stayed with. We tried a few other things, some coyote howls and some – bobcat growls and bird noises, bird noises yeah. and everything but we had one particular uh cottontail cadence that called all the three animals that we did in so uh we thought we were on a little bit of a pattern there and uh we'd normally sit you know a lot of probably a difference of opinion of how long you should call or go silent or sit there in general what we found was about half an hour at a spot work for us so sometimes we'd stay a little longer say 45 minutes uh, sometimes cut bait a little quicker, but, mm-hmm. but that was a general strategy that we used. And, um, you know, again, it, it worked for us and, that, and that's about what I've done since I was a child and, yep. and it seems to work pretty well. Yeah. It worked pretty well. I mean, man, heck too. I, I think that, uh, <laughs> the first coyote that you shot of little Peter, little Peter would have been out there. We might've lost him on that first sit. Oh, no doubt. So we had, you know, we had one set up there. We didn't, we actually, it was kind of a, a, a interesting situation. So we, Went and set up in this dry pond, big, probably a 10-acre, 20-acre pond uh, that had dried up, and it was just a perfect setup. The wind was great. Yeah. Felt good about I it. I thought it was going to be money. It, so we put our electronic collar out there. It was grown up with some some grass out in it, so it, but not too tall. We couldn't have seen a coyote come in. So it was just mm-hmm. really a good idea. And the, the sign we saw all around there on the road was just enormous. You couldn't hardly step without stepping on some coyote scat. It was a great TV spot. Yeah. So it was just, And it would have made beautiful videos. So anyway... So we gave that that call probably that spot probably close to an hour, and just because we were so convinced it was going to work, anyway, it didn't. So we kind of put our tail between our legs and packed up and was going to spot. That was our second spot. So we're going to spot three of the of the sequence that I mentioned earlier that we had a, a, a pattern. So we're going to spot three, which is about five hundred yards away. Parked the truck, and we had, we had been gone five minutes. You know, in the truck, no. we opened the truck door, and there's one howling. <laughs> This is still at 4.30 in the afternoon, I mean, it's and 80 degrees. I mean, this is not in the evening. We had some good cloud cover, though. A little bit. Of, yeah. yeah, it was a little cool cool for that. But So this thing's howling, just saying finger, middle finger in the air to you. Taunting right, us. Right back, I mean, exactly where we just came from. There's no doubt it was in that pond dam area, oh, yeah. then 100 yards, howling at us. And so we, so instead of going straight to our next stand site, we said, we're going to go try to call this, this coyote. So we slip down the, the road the other direction, getting behind there, getting the wind in our favor. So we get down to where we wanted to set up, and there's no place to set up right there. It just didn't, it didn't lend itself except a deer blind. There was yep. a deer blind that wasn't a perfect play for it, but was a play. And so we kind of like – and to that point, we hadn't used a deer blind as a, as a setup. So we thought, well, why not? Let's just try it. And so because of all that running and gunning, we didn't bring Peter with us. Mm-hmm. But – had we we had a nice little opening set the collar out there it wasn't five minutes after that thing was running and out runs this coyote went up there to grab the electronics thinking it was the rabbit she was burning she was coming in to to take it and gun and run so she came running in and she got 
few feet away from the electronic collar and kind of skidded to a stop like that's not what I expected to see. And then she turned around and heading back where she came from and hesitated just on the edge of the brush. And I asked our cameraman, Damon, I said, do you have her or yet? Um, and he said, I don't. And I had just, a, I could have killed her right there. Anyway, she dashed back in the brush and I thought, oh no, she's, she's wised up. And so we kept rolling and her curiosity got the better of her. She slipped back out for a second look about two minutes later and paid, got on her. paid the price and we got, got her on camera. Yeah. But yeah, I have no doubt if, if that rabbit would have been sitting there, I probably <laughs> It, particularly if we didn't shoot her that first time she probably would have grabbed it and been, oh, yeah. in, been in the next county with my decoy gone we never we never would have gotten to see yeah. what we did tonight yeah with that bobcat that oh, yeah, incredible i mean so we, so we, again we had this spot picked out from this morning that we found this this area and again it it also was best hunted by a deer blind just the way it was set up we had and, to get up yeah so we, you know we, we uh we had gotten filmed some other stuff this afternoon and uh had one quick other uh hunt that was unsuccessful and he said you know instead of just running and gunning let's go to that spot put all our eggs in one basket we know it's in the right area it feels right let's go so uh we trucked down there and we brought peter with us this time because we knew it was pretty open and uh so we get there and put peter and electronics out and start calling you know maybe 10 minutes in Mm -hmm. you know will said big bobcat to your right and and I was to the right in the in the stand, and I looked, and it was uh, must have already been out of view because I didn't see anything. And he said it's it's heading towards the decoy. And I said fantastic, so we're getting all ready, getting excited. And he said it was a big one, and uh, so it's it disappeared into the cactus, and so we're all excited. Peter's out there doing his job. The wind's perfect for us, you know, no 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 excuses. And uh, she hangs up and sits there out of sight for better part of 10 minutes probably certainly five six seven eight minutes which is a long time when you know they're 30 yards from you uh nothing so i told will i said turn turn it off and just see if we can pique her curiosity a little bit so we turned turned the electronics off nothing happened we gave it two or three minutes and i I said do we have a soft call a soft rabbit call he said yeah i've got a baby cottontail and he said i'll turn it down low i said do it so he puts this baby cottontail on there, puts it on low volume, turns it on. It's barely audible to us at 40 yards from the decoy, but clearly audible to that cat yeah. because she responded, I mean, right in, away. In seconds, she she took the bait and she was locked in. She was, what, 15 yards from the decoy, 20 yards max? 40, 50 yards from us? Yeah, 40 from us. And she came out just beelining and then stopped. You know, she came out in the open and stopped just laser focused on that rabbit and uh luckily we had had her on camera at that time and we didn't waste much time and we made a great shot and she went down and and i can tell you i've seen you know quite a number of bobcats over the years and uh this one's as pretty and mature and large for south texas as any i've seen will you've got an absolute ripper i mean she I appreciate is that. just gorgeous i bet she weighs close to 25 pounds which you know, may not sound big to some some folks up north but you know that's a big southern cat. Uh, She's a little bit older too. You yeah, said. Yeah, I can tell by the, by her teeth. She was very mature, uh, big blocky head, blocky body. I mean, I could tell before. I, as soon as I walked up, I could. Mm-hmm. And I told her, I said, "You've got your really good mature one because they've just got a different body shape at maturity than a young yeah. cat, or just like a deer or a human or anything else. I mean, if you've seen a few, you can recognize it. And her pads. I mean, she had lengths like 
her pads big. on her. I mean, her feet. Big. She was a big footed gal. Yeah. Um, she might have gotten some jokes around the, you know, the coffee shop <laughs> with those big feet. But um, <laughs> you know, she uh, she she was a grown girl. Yeah. And uh, and she went right down. And so we went out and did the heroes and and did all that and got back up in the stand because we still had an hour of of, of daylight left at that point. And we thought it can only get better. Or you know, so we're sitting there and. Not much is happening, and we got the electronics rolling. All of a sudden, I see something come buzzing in from overhead and start hovering like a hovercraft over my rabbit. And and uh, old Peter and and I thought a hawk's coming in to get my rabbit. Well, <laughs> anyway, it pitches in on a, a T post, a fence post that was not far from where it was, and it was a great horned owl, a giant great horned owl, and it sits there twenty yards from the decoy, looking at it like, you know, I'm thinking about having you for dinner. Oh yeah, and uh. Sat there for what five ten minutes seemed like forever a long time and just eyeballing that rabbit and finally couldn't take it. it it flew down to the ground not right on it flew down on the ground i've never seen an owl do that and 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 then start hopping start hopping toward the rabbit and and as it stopped light was fading pretty fast at that point but the outline of it with those big ears and the color formation I could have easily mistaken that for a bobcat. Oh yeah, it had not not known what I, what it was, obviously, but it, it had that that mm-hmm. look once once it was on the ground, obviously. But anyway, so it sat there hopping on the ground, getting ever closer and getting ever closer, and it finally eased its way up to about I don't know five or six feet away from it, still giving it the evil eye. Finally, it couldn't take it any longer and did the old bunny hop and jump right up on top of her. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and just uh, talons in the side, uh, both sides, you could see it just locked both of its, it just jumped right products on its back like it was riding a horse. You're just and, waiting for it to take yeah, flight. Yeah, I was like, well, there goes Peter. Uh, but anyway, those talons in the side of it, and it was constantly looking around like, you know, is anybody watching me or is anybody going to try to take my prize? This was too easy. And uh, it sat there on top of its back for a long time before it finally pecked it a couple of times, just like moved, darn it, you know, uh, <laughs> too salty, do something. <laughs> and then it st- it kind of jumped all hopped off of its back and stood there and looked at it a couple of times, and then jumped back on its back one more time, and finally realized after you know much consideration that it was not <laughs> something's not right. Not right. Um, so it uh, it finally hopped away and then flew off and uh, left our lives, but it put on a good show for us. So man, it was a just an incredible afternoon. Yeah, it was it? Heck, it's been an incredible day and a half. I mean, just getting to see this country and see a new piece of property and just chasing after some predators. Man, it's 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 been a ton of fun. And heck, I don't know, old camera guy sitting over here. I don't may try to go out tonight. I don't know yet, but it's been it's been a good time. I've enjoyed it. Well, this country is, you know, it's it's unique country. If you haven't ever hunted South Texas, it truly is like a different world in terms of habitat, yeah. landscape. You know, uh, young Damon over here, our 17-year-old cameraman from Minnesota. Does an excellent had, job, by the way. He's done a fantastic job. He's, he's wise beyond his years. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had never seen a, a javelina before, never seen a bobcat on, you know, on up close on film, never filmed a predator hunt, uh, you know. Never ate boudin sausage. I mean, yeah. you know, the guys, the guys living living large here. Um, he's never learned. seen cactus before, then, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, okay. So, uh, so yeah, his this has been one of those cultural immersion experiences for our young yeah. our young cameraman over here. But uh, he got about as far south as I think he can for a first trip to Texas, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, and he got to he got to film Road Runner early. He uh, filmed the Javelinas. He filmed a Caracara, which is yep. a Mexican eagle. 
uh, on some carrion down here. Uh, bobcats, coyotes, uh, you know, hogs. Uh, you know, so we've had the cornucopia of South yeah, Texas. Have. There's not much. We haven't seen a rattlesnake yet. Uh, <laughs> Knock but, on wood. Yeah, but uh, I even picked up a little Native American scraping stone this afternoon. So, I mean, this, mm-hmm. is, this is South Texas. I mean, this is what it's about. Yeah. We got one morning left, and we'll see what happens, man. So, uh, you know, it's been fun getting to do this. I know it's the first time we've gotten to hunt together and meet in person since I started working for Hunt Stand, so definitely enjoyed it. Oh, it's been a blast. It's so good to be back in Texas. I mean, you you, you can't ha- have anything but a great time nah. in Texas. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't beat it. Well, but Brian, man, thanks for hopping on the podcast again. I know we'll get on here again sometime. Absolutely, anytime. All right, y'all, there you go. Another end to Field Note Fridays. We really hope you enjoyed this one. Again, if you haven't yet, we've got a giveaway going on over on Instagram right now. The rules are simple. All you have to do is follow us. That's it. There's no hoops, no flaming hoops you got to jump to or anything like that. Just head on over to Instagram. Link is down in the description. So make sure you head on over to Instagram. Give us a follow. If you like what you're hearing here, give us a good rating. Give us a review. And if you have a topic that you want us to talk about or something you think we should be talking about, send me an email. And that's podcast at huntstand.com. Just want to thank all of y'all for tuning in. And we will see you on the next one.